Hey, hello folks, how are you doing? Welcome to another episode of Conversations on India with Panda and Vyas. Today we'll be doing episode 41 and it's only going to be me and Panda today. And uh, we have quite a bit of news uh, that's built up over the last couple of weeks. So uh, we'll be discussing four main issues today and then we'll pick up smaller issues towards the end. So let me just wait for Panda to join and as soon as he joins, we'll get started. So I'll just give you an idea of the things that we're going to discuss. Uh, I think the first thing will be the financial emergency in Sri Lanka, which has just been imposed. Then uh, we're going to discuss the socio-economic and caste census of India, uh, which um, there's a lot of debate that's going around it. We'll, we'll look at uh, what, it, what the need is and sort of what are the drawbacks of having such a census. Uh, then we're going to look at food fortification and uh, so government has recently mandated that uh, all the publicly distributed food products will be fortified with additional nutrients. So we'll look at the pros and cons of that and then uh, we will uh, uh, you know, uh, also discuss some Paralympics uh, which is uh, still going on. India has been doing really well there. So uh, this comes after the Olympics and uh, you know, it's, it's happening in Tokyo as well. Uh, we have won uh, some medals there. So we'll, we'll do like a, a brief coverage of that. Yeah, so Panda is here. Let me just bring him in. Hi, Panda. Yo, bro. Hi, bro. Looks like you've just worked out. Or you're coming uh, in from outside. Nice, nice. Okay. Hey, right. hi, Ritwik. Okay, so I was just telling everyone that we will discuss what we will So, uh, I, I think uh, the Sri Lanka financial emergency might be the best place to start, right? So, right. Uh, the we're recording this at 7:33 on the 3rd of September. So, Panda, do you want to leave the context for that? Yes, definitely. You know, uh, recently, uh, three days back, Sri Lanka announced uh, the president of Sri Lanka, Rajapaksha. So, he announced that uh, Sri Lanka has uh, officially gotten into a state of economic emergency, or you can say financial emergency. Uh, this was uh, this order was issued under an ordinance uh, in Sri Lanka. We'll be discussing that. What were the factors that led to the situation in Sri Lanka? What is the current economic situation of Sri Lanka? And also, uh, we will be putting an angle of how Indian-Sri Lanka relations and uh, Sri Lankan-Chinese relations uh, are on stake. Right. So, uh, I'll just give a brief context on what actually happened and then, you know, we'll uh, start. Mm -hmm. So, first let me tell you about uh, Sri Lanka. So, uh, Sri Lanka, it has announced a full-scale economic meltdown and uh, Sri Lanka's forex reserve has fallen to as low as $2.8 billion uh, in uh, July this year. Now, what forex reserves? Why forex reserves are important is it is needed for balancing uh, trade, balance of payments while you do trade. So, uh, in in case, uh, for example, if you have much more uh, exports uh, than imports, then it is favorable to your nation. So, if you don't balance it out in that way, then your currency uh, appreciates. So, uh, ultimately, your exports will decrease in, in the long term, and uh, vice versa. If your imports are higher than exports. And again, if you don't appreciate, uh, you, you know, you don't use your uh, forex money to balance out or uh, suck out the extra dollars or pump in the extra dollars that are required uh, in whichever case, uh, your money in this case will depreciate and then, you know, your imports will become more costlier and vice versa, it will keep going on. So there is, uh, this is where the uh, importance of forex reserves comes in. Forex reserves are kept in some, forex reserves are kept in some universal, uh, there is some sort of Forex reserves are kept in some sort of, you know, universal, uh, universally, I would say, worldly accepted uh, currency in case uh, of present times it is dollar, basically. So, uh, their forex reserves have fallen as low as $2.8 billion. Now, let me state it in terms of India, then you'll get an idea. Although the population of Sri Lanka is only 2.1 uh, crore people compared to India, which has 135 crores, but the forex reserves of India are, you know, touching $600 billion, close to $600 billion. Uh, 2.8 billion dollars is a low and it is all time low it is one third of what it was two years back and even that time uh, the situation in Sri Lanka was not very good right 
now what were the reasons uh, for this uh, you know fall down in uh, forex reserves and what this financial emergencies this is something that we'll uh, keep discussing while uh, we go mm-hmm. as you know, uh, i have one very specific question uh, starting to you you know sri lanka has yeah. a per capita gdp twice of india all the factors in uh, you know social factors in sri lanka are better than the state of kerala uh, where you yeah. know in india we hail kerala as the best model so uh, everything is so fine population is very low but why do you think that uh, sri lanka has come to this stance according to you uh, what is the main reason is it the leadership uh, that has failed sri lanka or is it something to do with the amount of loans that they have taken or is it uh, corona pandemic to be blamed yeah so there there is actually two or three factors which have you know combined to produce this effect for sri lanka so first thing to note is sri lanka is an island country and they do not actually produce much uh when it comes to supplies for example like rice or onions or tomatoes or like whatever you need uh, in your country so they export so they import most of their stuff from outside right and uh, you know india is uh, one of the largest trading partners and they import almost all whatever they need into the island from the outside and uh, to pay for those imports you need a foreign foreign exchange uh, in in order to make those payments now uh, sri lanka being an island country was a huge tourist attraction and uh, you know earlier they used to get a lot of tourist Uh, money coming in, and with that they could easily pay for their uh, imports. But now, uh, with the pandemic going on, the uh, uh, the tourist uh, money has gone down, so the tourist economy has to- totally collapsed, and which has hurt their, uh, you know, the, their financial position. And uh, what has happened is they have uh, gone into a balance of payments crisis. So this is similar to what happened in India in nineteen nineteen ninety one, and uh, now what has happened is that the Sri Lankan rupee has decreased in value. so it it has decreased by 7.5% uh, now that means that uh, you know uh, sri lankans have less ability to buy stuff from the outside world because th- th- their currency's value has lowered so uh, this has resulted in like a huge supply crunch uh, the, the cost of basics in sri lanka has just skyrocketed and uh, you know uh, they have uh, actually uh, you know uh, put a army general in charge of making sure that there is no uh, you know st- uh, stocking or like uh, what do you call it uh you know uh hoarding yeah hoarding is the term hoarding of uh, these materials so i, I think uh, your question on why this is happening uh, in 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 sri lanka so these are the two or three factors it is an island country does not produce anything of its own imports most of the things tourist economy has collapsed and uh, you know uh, th- th- those are just some of the reasons and i think one more thing uh, which uh, you know we can explain to our viewers ki by exactly jo uh, on on ground reality hai how does that work so all the importers they actually import stuff based on uh, credit so so they they take like uh, 90 days or 180 days of credit from you know exporters of other countries in order to import stuff into sri lanka right now these guys had 180 days of credit that's already pending but now value of sri lankan rupee has fallen down so whatever pending credit that they had that has gone up you know uh, that has skyrocketed so as a result uh, these uh, these sri lankan importers are saying that we don't have any money to pay you back and uh, you, you know uh, th- this crisis has just you know snowballed as we uh, go down go down the levels and uh, the the situation on ground is that in in, in the markets there are uh, people are paying up to 10x of of you know normal prices uh, that that they had earlier so yeah i, I mean it's pretty grim what's going on there right you know uh, i have uh, few more reasons and one of them is very mm-hmm. interesting Uh, obviously i'll be talking about rajapaksha but uh, but mm-hmm. let's uh, let, let me say something so sri lanka has an army of about 1 lakh people personal whereas the army in india is about 13 lakhs but if you see the population it has only 2.1 crores whereas you know uh, india has a population of 135 crores so in yeah. sri lanka has 10 to 15 times more army compared to india whereas mm-hmm. india you know india has beautiful neighbors all around so india has to be aware of that and still sri lanka is an island nation it does not require that so that is one thing that they're spending too much on coming to this mm-hmm. import yes sri lanka imports majority of it but uh, you know uh, now the government is a sort of dictator government like absolute majority with no opposition uh, and uh, also whenever someone opposes he is put into jail now i only yeah. remember one thing and uh, that thing is you know i have i had seen a beautiful comedy movie and uh, it was aladdin Uh, you know, uh, I, I don't exactly remember that. Uh, he his name was Aladdin. He was a dictator. You know, I I I actually don't recall that name. But you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, th- there was this scene, na, that uh, how will a pointy missile go 
so th- this is exactly what has happened you know what is the biggest drawback and uh, this is something that has been hidden from the world is that sri lanka to uh, you know improve its image in un had announced for tightly that it is going to go all organic so it had banned all chemical fertilizers to be used on products as a result what happened is you know uh, the pests grew uh, enormously because there were uh, no compost uh, manures that were given by the government no incentives and uh, yeah dictator was uh, so basically uh, what what basically happened is uh, you know, he um, rajapaksha he went to un he announced it he imposed it in sri lanka but he did not take the you know views of the scientists on ground so now let me tell you something about organic farming uh, yes it is a very good venture it might fetch you good uh, amounts of money but uh, the harsh reality is it takes approximately 5 to 6 years to you know replace that level of uh, production that earlier it was so the production had gone down very less uh, you know e- even less than 50% now uh, now putting this into uh, numbers now since sri lanka imports majority it also used to produce few crops that are destroyed it used to export steel production that has gone uh, that has fell uh, below 50% sri lanka provides 85% of world cinnamon and that is also you know gone now now that, that, now this is something you know that is coming into poor play and th- this happened last year last year uh, this was announced so this is uh, this is what uh, basically is the explanation of that you know that that movie that dictatorship applied here you know not listening to scientists and whoever uh, you know discusses it uh, that, that is what has actually happened you know uh, shil- yeah. uh, oh, let, let me only talk in terms of tea tea alone the production uh, fall in tea alone yeah Yeah, yeah. So I, I was just saying, there's just one fun fact that uh, you know five of Sri Lanka's ministers are Rajapaksas. Yeah, so, they're from this uh, family. That, that is also, yeah, exactly. That is also another thing. You know, that I was coming to. Yeah. So uh, uh, what happened in this tea production? Now, fifty percent loss of tea production exports amounts to approximately one point six billion dollars. Uh, now, since the, uh, their uh, present forex reserves are two point eight billion, so one point six billion dollars is a huge amount for them. right mm-hmm. and uh, rightly mentioned you know five of the uh, ministers in that rajapakshi are from that rajapakshi family so that that is what i say it's rajapakshi's uh, rajapaksha whatever his name is that is it's his family mm-hmm. that he rules now this uh, sri lankan emergency has not made much news uh, because the media is state controlled or state favored and again uh, it, it is going into a state of uh, dictatorship so you know everyone is put uh, into bars only the exiled people or the ones that are outside sri lanka report on facts and that is why it is so hard uh, to get to know exact facts about what 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 was the cause and you know this was a very fascinating cause that has not been covered by multiple things also covid cases yeah, yeah. let me point to the covid cases you know sri lanka had managed covid beautifully till august 2020 there were very few cases during the first wave tourism was booming and uh, you know uh, tourism amounts to a, a huge number for that nation now let me come mm-hmm. into present scenario presently there is a 14 day curfew lockdown that has been announced right and uh, after that uh, there is uh, there, the present number of cases that are coming in sri lanka are 5000 cases of covid in 200 deaths now that might seem a uh, less number but if i extrapolate that number for india it is close to 4 lakh cases and 13000 deaths per day considering yeah. the population size so this is something that has hampered the tourism the second factor is the organic farming and the third factor is that vicious circle so once there is a rise in inflation the central bank has taken control over as you have rightly mentioned that they are not able to pay the uh, uh, money uh, for six months because the money has rupee has depreciated and it has set in a change you know the interest rates are high foreigners are not willing to invest uh, into uh, sri lanka now there is no flow of fdi so as a result what happens is their money is weakening it has gone from 162 to 210 230 and uh, even after that it is still depreciating and it is a vicious cycle that is going on uh, i think so proper structural reform is needed uh, that was uh, done in india in 1991 that is first thing you know uh, that license raj is back uh, so if uh, if a foreigner has a trade with uh, if, if a sri lankan has a trade with foreign nation and he earns out of that trade he has to deposit that complete money uh, into the central bank and not the local banks and while again uh, doing some foreign trade he has to take permission from the central bank now uh, to so it is you know backlog Uh, going going back yeah. there is also one more factor that sri lanka has taken loans you know it has 3 billion loans from uh, china uh, 5 billion loans from china and it has taken another 308 million from china and you know even bangladesh has given 100 million uh, loan to sri lanka and uh, it is giving 50 more so th- that is something that is going on let's let's not talk about other nations so if you just count uh, the, these uh, these are the last two points then we'll take a question that we have right so uh, if mm-hmm. if you just count the amount of money that sri lanka has to pay over the next 12 months it is close to 3 billion dollars whereas the forex reserve is only 2.8 billion dollars so this is something 
that that is required it has requested the imf you know they have sanctioned a credit line of 737 million dollars but i don't think so it is enough also another fun fact is uh, out of the total 100% revenue the sri lankans make in a year 80% is gone just to pay the loans and the interest on that loans so only 20% is effectively uh, same is the case in india but it is not as high as 80% you know it is uh, close to 20 22% and uh, so this is something uh, that that requires a holistic approach you know going all organic without thinking anything is something yes it is uh, mainly caused due to supply crisis and uh, pandemic corona has hampered their uh, this nation uh, mm-hmm. i would say tourism industry yes uh, we have this question why they handed over the powers to military so vyas would you like to answer this rajapaksha's yeah 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 so so uh, the whole state power has not been handed over to the military only the supplies and you know the holding uh, just to keep a check on holding that is uh, the uh, place where a military commander has been appointed so uh, th- that person's job is essentially you know uh, going around the country and checking if anyone is holding food supplies and if they are holding he has the power to punish them he can liquidate the holding and you know distribute it out and just so that the normal market system is sustained in the country it is not that the whole of state power has been given to the military it's only part of that state power right right uh what now uh, should be yeah there is one more question what should be india's take on this food emergency should india help sri lanka in this crisis so yeah i i mean as far as being a good neighbor goes i think uh, in india has to uh, you know hand out a, uh, some sort of help whether it is you know supplies of food because they don't have the ability to pay for imports so uh, we'll have to you know send some aid uh, there uh, but I, i this is a multi dimensional crisis this is not just a financial crisis this is also a health crisis at the same time and and i think uh, the the sri lankan government has time and again proven itself incapable and uh, you know it 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 is essentially a monarchy and and you know monarchies don't have any place in the 21st century so i think it will be better for the sri lankan people if the whole system burns down and and they can build a democratic uh, parliamentary system the one like the one we have in india or like the one we have in uk or the presidential presidential system that is in the us so i i would rather that the this whole system burns down instead of us helping it and trying to salvage it uh it, it it would be much better if if you know sri lanka joins the league of the democracies of the world right, right. Uh, see we have a question should india share its food stored in fcis see uh, let let me uh, tell you how international politics actually works so what what sort of neighbor is sri lanka now let's come to the harsh reality so sri lanka uh, uh, is on the face a very good friend of india when it comes to policies implementation it goes to china you know it it it, it tries to plays it tries to play china against india. india and that is how it uh, tries to extort money from india it has taken line of credits even from india and uh, uh, it it has given humble tota port to china and it had given that east corridor project to japan and india which which it eventually cancelled but this is something you know as a nation you have to be very very that you cannot play between nations obviously you can have your priorities for one nation set but you know you cannot uh, just keep uh, blaming that you know uh, china is developing our humble tota port uh, if you want you you can develop our east corridor project or we will give it to china this is not these sort of things that we can give now coming to uh, sharing of food from fcis yes india definitely has a huge amount of fcis anyways it is going uh, you know wasted we can definitely share humanitarian crisis i don't you know uh, i actually believe uh, that uh, no death uh, especially should come from lack of food that is the basic necessity basic human necessity so india as a on humanitarian front which it has always done should also do this but also uh, sri lanka should also realize that you know uh, whenever uh, there, there is this uh, need it comes to india uh, beat that you know india has blood a lot uh, for for them uh, uh, when when it came to the sri lankan crisis and uh, ltte we even lost a prime minister in this process uh, so there are things that sri lanka needs to be grateful for and i think so it is high time that sri lanka realizes that you know a neighbor is trying to help them unconditionally so they should not uh, you know reciprocate it on such friends that it it causes uh, anonymity between two other nations uh, that is india and china so yes definitely mm-hmm. i think so uh, my stance will be that india will definitely uh, give foods to sri lanka uh, needless to say it will give uh, that is one take but i also think that it is high time that you know the policy system of sri lanka is reformed and uh, this is this is one thing how can we manage good diplomatic relation with sri lanka to counter china's string of pearls definitely you know basically depends on the government i, I think uh, I, no no panda uh, yeah. uh, i i think that is a much uh, broader question and and th- that's like another uh, 10 minute discussion right and and this is going to put us off track uh, for the rest of the things that we have planned right yeah just just so, in short, uh, I, i would just in yeah. short i would like to point it out that you know yeah. uh, no country's relation can be permanent 
it it depends on the nature of government we had beautiful relations before this rajapaksha government you know uh, when it was i think so uh, gori with chef something uh, that you know we, we and he was a after rajapaksha took over when it was more dictator he even resided in india he even exiled in india so uh, that that is uh, some that uh, depends on the mood of government but what i uh, basically feel is we need to have a connect with the people and that is what we have had in afghanistan and that is what is needed whenever a good friendly nation is needed with any country the people should basically connect so that is the only yeah. thing that uh, india can look yeah and and uh, just one final thing on the sri lanka uh, thing right so uh, even during the civil war of sri lanka uh, you know the tamils were fighting against the sinhalas even during that time sri lanka's economy was growing and it was growing at healthy rates 5 to 6% rates and the reason was that it had open borders with india so there was free trade between india and china and because india's economy was growing so was sri lanka's economy despite the civil war raging in the country so uh, i i mean it it won't be the first time that sri lanka has depended upon india for its economic gains so i i think uh, in, india is the biggest country in its neighborhood so sri lanka will do well to actually uh, you know uh, have uh, better relations with india uh, because i mean china is not going to come and save them uh, when they have a crisis like this right and i think with that uh, we can close this topic you know, on uh, just before ending uh, yeah. I, i have one more uh, one one anecdote so uh, mm-hmm. you know it is often said that uh, uh, this uh, present dictator or i would say present uh, president of pakistan uh, mr rajpaksha he's on uh, way of mao zedong so uh, chinese so what basically he did uh, was that you know there was nuances of uh, uh, the sparrows in china huge amounts of sparrows in china so he ordered to kill every sparrow so that agriculture productivity will increase so as a result uh, every sparrow was killed now once every sparrow was killed uh, the number of pests started multiplying and whole chinese uh, fertilizer uh, this agriculture was destroyed they had to import sparrows from other nations uh, and you know it took years to do that so this is something that organic farming this is something that he has uh, done more thing can i ask one more question because yeah yeah definitely yeah, you can ask we'll we'll take up your question uh, meanwhile we'll start one uh, topic we'll just come to your question after that topic you can uh, yeah 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 I, i think we can do that so uh, next topic i wanted to discuss was uh, uh, food fortification in india so uh, recently uh, there was an announcement made by the government that uh, any rice distributed to poor people will be fortified rice and uh, you know th- this step is actually uh, uh, something to appreciate because india has had uh, you know a, a very bad history with nutrition and uh, you know if if i just give you some stats you will actually be shocked at least i was when i read these stats so uh, uh, the first is that 15.3% of india's population is undernourished so uh, that's like one in six people are undernourished and then uh, under the age of 5 uh, 30% children are stunted so so they don't achieve their full height because uh, because of stunting and 17.3% of the children are wasted so so wasting is that when you start uh, developing a belly because of undernutrition so uh, i i mean that only happens in the worst cases of uh, undernutrition so 17% of indian children are still going through that now uh, these are just the stats in general then if we look at women specifically then half of india's women 50% of india's women are anemic anemic is uh, lack of iron uh, so so uh, i i mean india is going through this huge uh, undernourishment uh, crisis and uh, this step of food fortification a uh, food fortification ko uh, define kar deta hu main ki jo naturally koi bhi product ugta hai jaise rice jo naturally ug raha hai uske andar some additional uh, you know nutrients are added and these are synthetic in nature so for example they will add a little more protein to the rice and this will not increase the cost of the rice too much but then the person who is eating the rice will get more nutrients instead of you know just just getting the nutrients that they would have got uh, just from the rice now uh, I, i mean uh, th- this is a good step on the surface and and it has actually several you know several advantages as well so uh, first thing is that it ensures nutritional security at large so th- there are a lot of poor people in india uh, spread all across india's geography so how can we make sure that they are getting proper nutrition one thing is that jitna bhi desh mein rice ya wheat hai sab kuch fortify kar do kyunki koi na koi to ye khayega hi aur jo bhi khayega usko zyada nutrients milenge so it it sounds all good 
देन सेकेंड वन इज इट डज नॉट रिक्वायर अ बिहेवियर चेंज फ्रॉम द पीपल मतलब हम लोगों को ये नहीं कह रहे कि तुम अच्छा वीट खाते थे या तुम रोटी खाते हो तो तुम ओट्स खाने लग जाओ वी नॉट सींग दैट वीट जस्ट टेलिंग देम की यू ईट द सेम वीट बट यू नो यू विल गेट मोर न्यूट्रिय फ्रॉम इट देन दर्ड एडवांटेज इज दैट इट डज नॉट कॉस्ट अलॉट ऑफ मनी इट ओनली कॉस्ट वन और टू परसेंट एक्स्ट्रा so uh, i mean without you know uh, too much extra cost we can actually fortify food and make it available to millions so there is that now uh, all of these are good points then where is the discussion where is the real problem uh, with this thing so there are actually a couple of uh, problems here so uh, the first problem is that you know uh, दिस न्यूट्रिशनल सिक्योरिटी की लोगों को इनफ न्यूट्रिशन प्रोवाइड कराना दिस इज नॉट जस्ट अ फंक्शन ऑफ द फूड वी हैव इनफ फूड वी हैव फूड दैट इज गेटिंग वेस्टेड वी हैव फूड दैट इज इनफ फॉर टू बिलियन पीपल एंड वी हैव ओनली वन पॉइंट थ्री बिलियन पीपल राइट सो रियल प्रॉब्लम इज नॉट एक्चुअली फूड इन टर्म्स वेन इट कम्स अंडर न्यूट्रिशन एक्चुअली सैनिटेशन ऑल्सो प्लेज एन इक्वली लार्ज रोल बिकॉज इफ इफ यू डो नॉट लिव इन अनिटाइज इन्वायरमेंट अगर तुम्हारे आसपास गंदगी है देन यू विल फॉल सिक and when you fall sick you tend to lose a lot of the health that you had gained earlier so uh, no matter how much food you eat if you keep falling sick you 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 will never get the nutrition security right so uh, so uh, sanitation is a huge factor here then the second thing is that uh, you know by uh, doing uh, a uh, food fortification we can make sure ki protein ki deficiency kam ho jaye ya iron ki kam ho jaye ya vitamin ki kam ho jaye right to hum kisi ek cheez ki hi kam kar sakte hain but actually if you look at food uh, to uh, you know food helps us when we take a balanced diet jiske andar protein bhi ho carbohydrate bhi ho matlab uh, fats bhi ho so it has to be a balanced diet and uh, this food fortification is not you know delivering a balanced diet it is delivering an unbalanced diet so so that is another disadvantage phir iske andar there are some speculators who are saying ki ye to actually jo big food hai big food companies hain unko isse sabse zyada fayda hua kyunki government kya karegi wo procure karegi farmers se aur fir ye bade food companies ko contract degi ki humne jitne bhi ton you know wheat ya rice procure kiya hai isko fortify karke de do so this is like great business for for these uh, big food companies and and you know uh, people are speculating that these big food companies have actually you know done a lot of lobbying and they have gotten this law passed and uh, this will you know cost the taxpayer a lot without you know any uh, real benefits so so there is uh, you know a bunch of debate that is going on but at least we are trying to do something uh, to tackle the undernourishment because that is just such a huge problem i i just told you the stats right half of the women are anemic 17% of the population is under nourished and uh, you know uh, 47% of children under the age of 5 are either stunted or wasted so so these are very very grim factors for all uh, you know for, for all of us to uh, mull over and uh, uh, i mean of uh, uh, food fortification is the step in the right direction but it is not the final step right so uh, panda I, i have done a long monologue here so uh, do you want to add some here yeah yeah definitely just a second mm-hmm. uh sure. we'll we'll come to your question just after this topic is uh, done mm-hmm. uh, of food for division yeah. see basically you know i have um, uh, honestly i have no problem that you know a rich benefits but i have a problem when rich benefits but the poor does not that that is me yeah. so if there is this thing that goes that companies will benefit but if in turn uh if the poor people also benefit i think so it is a win win situation because rich anyways they'll benefit they they'll find another way yeah. to do so now there are two ways how fortification can be done one is fortification is done after the uh, you know crops are taken out from the wheat uh, let, let's just take example of rice so once rice are uh, taken out of the uh, crop after that you know what you can do is you can uh, powder it with iron supplements uh, iron and vitamin e whatever that, that is one thing you can polish it with uh, those supplements that is uh, one way to do that another way is that you can grow hybrid crops that are you know naturally high Uh, although uh, mm-hmm. you know genetically modified crops of rice is not permitted in india it has been uh, in cultivation in philippines and it has good amounts of vitamin a that is an example of uh, fortification but hybrid crops also do that that is another way so in this way farmers can also get uh, benefited not only the companies now my problem with food and uh, the issues see i'll tell you what basic uh, problems that children face and what the women in india face first thing is malnutrition and malnutrition contains three parts that is mainly stunting wasting and underweight you know uh, you have you have already uh, said that factors apart from that there is this anemic situation uh, lack of iron and this is a huge problem especially in pregnant women so out of every three pregnant women two pregnant women are anemic this is one thing and iron is must for the growth of the you know mental development of the child in the younger age uh, basically when he is into the womb uh, iron is uh, needed and this this is where uh, it happens and this again it is a vicious cycle so if uh, 
how how it is a vicious cycle so if a woman produces a child uh, who is under nutrition or malnutrition he'll grow up his productivity will be low and as a result next generation again will be low again it will be low and th- this is how the vicious cycle goes on right mm-hmm. now coming to the food uh, uh, again i have three factors uh, there are three factors in food one is the affordability another is the accessibility and third is the availability i call it the 3a uh, factor so in india there is availability you have rightly mentioned that we have a food of uh, 1.5 times the population of india currently at, le- at least you know india is a net food exporter and it has been so uh, continuously for more than 20 years it is a net food uh, exporter second comes the affordability uh, government has put into place the act uh, there are ration shops uh, and uh, there is this national food security act where food is provided as cheap as 2 rupees to the bpl and antyodaya families uh rice 2 rupees pulse is 5 rupees per kg there is this limit of 5 uh, kg and stuff like that so there is a mm-hmm. uh, a, a, a issue of uh, i would say affordability now the most important issue is the access, uh, accessibility but is this whatever the steps that you are taking is actually reaching reaching to the people you know are people able to get those amount of food this is first thing and this is i am just talking about the calorie part i'm not talking about the micronutrients part uh, that is the main issue when it comes to mm-hmm. food fortification so the first issue that india needs to resolve is that a calorific diet should be uh, supplemented every person should at least get 1.6k 1600 kilocalories uh, for uh, you know sufficient that that is the basic for his growth i'm not saying for his development it's for his growth that is also not available there were cases you know uh, let's not blame the government but uh, uh, after the implementation of aadhar enabled you know withdrawal of uh, processes there were cases when people were not able to verify their identities and uh, as beneficiaries and they were not uh, given access to food and as, as a result there were multiple deaths especially in the states of jharkhand and chatisgarh you know i don't uh, want to reiterate that case studies but it was a horrific situation now yep. when it comes to micronutrient availability now let's get into that factor so micronutrients are when you get a balanced calorific diet now uh, your food that is macro nutrients uh, th- then you break it down into uh, proteins carbs fats and then vitamins Uh, and you know th- these things these are necessary for your holistic growth so if you keep eating fat all day uh, it is not that you know you will feel hungry or you will your body will go weak or something like that uh, physically you are getting sufficient diet but uh, your body is getting weak inside you know you don't have proper access to vitamin a your eyesight might be uh, low your productivity might be low vitamin d stuff like that so this is where food fortification comes into account and uh, now taking your suggestions that you have said that is universal food fortification a step forward in india from my side yes if you are able to achieve a universal food fortification if if there is availability of food in india and if someone uh, you know has access to that food if someone eats that food naturally you know he's going to get better nutrients that that is how simple it is if if there is availability yeah. we we have to ensure the availability that is the fortification apart from that we also have to ensure the accessibility part uh, the flaws in the implementation of schemes have to be uh, done and the third part apart from all this food uh, is the beautiful that you have uh, part you have brought in is the sanitary part you know swachh bharat abhiyan that is going on so due to this sanitation parts we have uh, multiple multiple uh, women are anemic and you know they are more prone to diseases when they are anemic and then again it sets off on a vicious cycle you know once you are prone to disease you become malnutrition and once you become malnutrition yeah. your next generation will again be born so this is where diseases come in so if you are healthy you have proper access to food diseases will stay away but if you are uh, presently malnutrition which in india majority uh, is the case in majority and also we don't have proper health facilities and sanitation facilities as of now we are also you know susceptible to these diseases so this is where food fortification comes in and india has been doing uh, you know it has been uh, fortifying for vitamin a riboflavin uh, folic acid for anemia iodine salt iodine salt definitely you know biggest example of uh, food fortification is the iodine salt and uh, it it has also started uh, folic tablets in schools dewarming tablets so you know there is there is a long way to go but i think so government has started and when it comes to a debate that you know uh, corporates will benefit more from food for uh, corporation uh, my final take on this is just that i don't care if they are benefited as long as the poor people are benefited because ultimately it's the taxpayers money which is eventually going to be spent so if it is spent in a way that both are benefited i don't have a problem if it is in a way that only corporates are benefited and the benefit does not reach the uh, poor i think so it is lack in implementation of the policy and i have an issue with that so this is my take on this. yeah exactly so i i think pandey you have covered very very beautifully all the points that there were and i think one of the uh, you know brilliant points that you brought up was the uh, vicious cycle of undernutrition that goes on if the parents uh, you know are undernutrition uh, they they don't end up being very productive and uh, you know they they still end up being uh, uh, plagued by poverty and uh, then their kids 
also end up under nutrition so this is a real vicious cycle and in fact uh, like one of the way forwards one of the uh, ways to tackle uh, under nutrition in the third world is that if you educate women on uh, you know nutrition that has a direct correlation with uh, better nutrition for their children so if 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 all the mothers know uh, you know all the facts of nutrition then they end up giving better nutrition to the children so i think one of the steps uh, if you think about the long term is actually to teach uh, about nutrition in our schools and especially pay uh, real attention uh, on on nutrition to the girls uh, you know because uh, tomorrow they they will become mothers and eventually if if they uh, if they have you know uh, a great understanding of nutrition then they can uh, you know also bring that into the food uh, which which their family eats so so i i think uh, this this is a scientifically proven thing and and you know uh, we would do better if if we could implement such a policy and there is just one more point and this will be the last one uh, before we uh, you know move on to the next topic uh, which is that uh, we we really need a multi pronged approach uh, i mean food fortification is is just one thing uh, we uh, also need to do uh, you know electricity uh, sanitation and water uh th- these three factors are also really very very important when it comes to food security and it is not directly apparent so for example in the sanitation thing i told you right uh, if 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 the environment is not sanitized you will keep falling sick and then your nutrition doesn't matter whatever nutrition you have the disease will take away uh, the health from your body so so you will end up being under nutrition so sanitation is really important water is really important because in tropical uh, countries like india water is the biggest carrier of diseases so we need to have you know safe access to drinking water for everyone uh, lack of access to drinking water is also a huge contributor to bad health uh, which which leads to undernutrition uh, later on down the line so you know uh, we, we need to have a multi pronged approach it cannot be just food fortification uh, i mean it is a good step we should appreciate it but then uh, we we need to do all these things in order to improve our nutrition stats because i i mean uh, frankly they are uh, you know some of the worst stats uh, in in the world i mean um, many of the uh, central Af- african countries have better stats than than these so i i think we should be really uh, sad about it and and uh, you know uh, there is not only a change of policy but also change of execution as you rightly pointed out which is needed here so uh, i think with that we can uh, close this topic as well and uh, yeah you have something i have one case study again an anecdote and a quote coming up so first i'll yeah. start with the case study so uh, it was taught by uh, it was told by namit to me because you know he was a mm-hmm. food enthusiast so what was given was that you know uh, what basically we require is the nutrients and the calories we we are like mm-hmm. a machine you know we require proper fuel for our functioning uh, it's okay and it's very uh, you know happy to have good food Uh, whatever you like but this was done in america so what yeah. uh, the people they were done they were studied for 6 months a certain bunch of people and they were they were given powders for three times a day and the comp- comp- uh, components of those powders were basically proteins and you know everything that was uh, made into a powder form that that is uh, that is what they were given for three times a day and after that for 6 months their health did not deteriorate in fact they became in a better physical condition just to prove a point that you know uh, if if they are just converting everything say rice into powder form mixing it with proteins and require uh, required fats and just having them have uh, for lunch for dinner this this is the reality and this is where fortification is similar to that you know you might uh, but, but fortification is something that is hidden from people that you know we are not yeah. giving them directly and then as such we are just mixing it with something and giving uh, it it benefits second thing uh, is uh, a quote on women that you said so there is a saying and a beautiful saying uh, it it is related to education that if you educate a man you educate a man but you, if you, if you educate a women you educate a generation so this the same goes on this uh, nutrition front so if you educate a women uh, regarding the nutrition front she will ensure that her next generation as well as her family uh, are basically you know aware of this and are healthy so this is uh, one quote that i remembered yes that is beautiful and i think that is a good point uh, to uh, put a bow on this and uh, for the next one pandu do you have something or i have the yeah, social economic and caste i'll just take up his uh, question should india develop okay. andaman and ecobas to counter string of pearls uh, we can develop mm-hmm. a naval base there see we already have a tri services base at uh, andaman and ecobar and uh, presently it is now hosted it is under that uh, chief of defense staff but uh, it was you know uh, per yearly it was under rotation that who will look after it chief of naval staff chief of air staff and 
Now the problem with developing base at Andaman and Nicobar, a full-fledged naval base at Andaman and Nicobar, the issue is that you know, yes, it might help us counter China, but I don't know in which sense counter China because China has not been very vocal. Uh, it has not confronted us directly. But one issue is that Andaman and Nicobar shares its boundaries with the neighbor ASEAN nations more than what it does with China. So any country would not want any naval base or any army base in their nation. You know, and India being a so-called democratic nation. Uh, you know where, where it has this moral turpitude uh, in this uh, international relations so it does not want to uh, be very wary of that india definitely has uh, naval presence in the uh, as well as in the uh, bay of bengal it has uh, virat you know and aircraft carriers that are deployed and uh, uh, that that is something you know uh, even uh, I, i would just give an example to this that uh, mauritius had uh, recently in this year went to court requiring that uh, the base of diego gracia that was a uk base that was leased to us for their maintaining of military that is south of india if you go below sri lanka it is there near mauritius so uh, it, it was also a part of its territory but other nations even including sri lanka you know was wary of that that why there is this presence of american air force or american you know, naval base mm-hmm. particularly in diego gracia it was a tri services base it is presently still so this is basically what happens so just to counter china we cannot uh, first thing is we cannot you know deteriorate our relations with neighboring nations second thing is uh, presently we don't actually have the resources to directly you know confront china we are already facing a lot of economic crunch back home we are just trying to maintain it diplomatically also we are having resources from the quad but we would not like to maintain a naval base that will be used by you know uh, not only india but if we have quad then we will also be used by america australia and japan and this will sound a very you know direct uh, confrontation with china and this is something that india wants to avoid given that it has natural uh, confrontations uh, along the uh, you know northern part and uh, there is this cpec that is going through india i don't think so that we would like to deteriorate more situation but yes if need be i think so we have a tri services base in uh, andaman and nicobar that can be upgraded if need be you know that is that is the only thing uh, that is the only personal thing that i i, I think would be best Yeah, so just adding to that, uh, I, I think Andaman and Nicobar Islands are in a very strategic location. I, I think uh, th- those islands are excellently placed because uh, those islands overlook the Strait of Malacca, and Strait of Malacca has sixty percent of the container traffic of the world. Yeah. So, so essentially, uh, you know, uh, this space is very hot for uh, you know uh, import export of materials or like uh, you know transportation of materials from one country to another. and uh, having a presence there is obviously a uh, very useful and and it, it directly impacts china because most of china's income uh, is is from exports to other countries and most of its container traffic goes through uh, this state of malacca across the indian ocean onto europe and uh, the middle east countries so uh, essentially having a presence here would would be you know a huge strategic benefit to india even if we never you know do any operations from there just having a presence there would be huge and and i think uh, we should also not ignore the economic opportunity of having a port in andaman and nicobar because uh, right now you know uh, the placement of sri lanka in the middle of indian ocean is very advantageous because it lies on the path of these container ships and now andaman and nicobar islands are also situated in the same area and in fact they are closer to the strait of malacca than uh, sri lanka is so this could be a great point for refueling of ships or for you know uh re uh, restocking supplies uh t- taking on stuff uh, putting more stuff on the ships so i think uh, this uh, this location is not only strategic from the military perspective but also from the economic perspective so uh, you know indian government would do well to actually invest into uh, development of andaman and nicobar islands and i think with that uh, we can close this topic as well right. uh, next i uh, do you have something or i want to talk about the socio economic and caste yes, socio economic caste census Is the okay let's go for the secc then uh, let me just post it in the chat for everyone right no okay, i just started the introduction meanwhile sure sure go ahead so for a us what basically happens is that census is conducted every 10 years right mm-hmm. and uh, what that census collects is uh, residents not citizens residents in india age sex race religion language socio economic status right then there is this caste based census that was a survey that will you know ask for your caste your sub caste your gotra other various forms uh, including socio economic caste census and the last caste based census was done in 1931 of which result was out 2011 also it was done but the result was not declared uh, every year you know census has been uh, regularly done since 1881 
and every uh, 10 years it is done and uh, every year there is a data that is collected for the scs and sts you know the population amount of scs and st but the uh, data for the obcs and other caste has never been you know uh, collected apart from 2011 it was collected but apart from that it has never been collected since 1931 and the data that we today use is based on the 1931 census exactly and according to the data obcs have a population of 52% in india so this is the old context and now there is a demand for uh, now there are both ways you know some uh, there, there has been a uh, going to look at that yeah. new caste based census you know including uh, nitish kumar demanding that you know uh, a new caste based census is required so now uh, now we will go into that now guys uh, why don't you take it up yeah yeah sure so uh, as you rightly mentioned in 2011 we had a socio economic and caste census but results were not released and this is something that you know nobody wants to touch politically because uh, you know if if we do a caste census and and suddenly the figures are totally off for example we have uh, you know around uh, 50% total reservation for sc sts and obcs right and in the in the caste census it turns out these numbers are completely off you know obcs are not 27% they are 35% and the scs are not there and the sts are not there so this will you know cause a lot of political upheaval it may even cause protests and so on so you know nobody really wants to no administrator wants to release it and no politician wants to you know look at it but uh, I, i mean this is a really important thing for india to do and and i will get into why it is important but first let us look at the drawbacks like why people don't want to do it so the first argument is that it hardens identity ki agar hum logo ko puri india ko ye bata denge ki india ke andar itne percent ye wali caste hai aur itne percent ye wali caste hai to wo identity harden ho jayegi now this is a criticism that i personally don't get because we already have the sc st and obc classification which is going on already so if that is not hardening uh, you know uh, identity then i don't know what is hardening identity and and if if you just release more data uh, how, how does that harden identity right uh, then the second thing is there are political repercussions to this so uh, for example uh, there was this huge myth uh, which was going on in karnataka which is that the lingayats uh, it's, it's a caste there so lingayats are huge in number so any sort of uh, political debate or social issue that comes up uh, in 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 you know karnataka uh, they, they look at it from the angle of lingayats what will the lingayats think about it and what can we do to make the lingayats feel better because they are such huge in number but when they actually did the census it turned out that they were not not actually huge in number they just had very influential positions so they they, they were uh, you know a brahmanical caste and uh, they had been doing well historically and you know most of the people in top positions ended up being lingayats and that is why uh, you know the over over focus on on that one caste so having access to data can actually do away with all those myths and and such myths exist you know everywhere in haryana it's a different caste in madhya pradesh it's a different caste but 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 it happens so so uh, you know having data having cold hard facts will will, will help us do away with that and then uh, the third criticism against scc is that you know caste is not it is very context dependent so for example a one particular caste in madhya pradesh might have a high standing but when you go to up that same caste might have a lower standing so having all india numbers for these castes does not actually make sense because these castes mean different things in in different places right so i i think that is valid but then again we'll have the placement information of the person as well so so we know that this person is located in which country and then we can you know slice and dice the data according to that so these were the drawbacks now uh, let's come to the need of of having you know uh, this caste data so uh, one is uh, it benefits policy making so panda had mentioned that we still make our policies based on 1931 data so 1931 uh, i i mean it 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 was almost 100 years ago it was 91 years ago so uh, i i mean uh, the, the numbers have completely changed and one of the biggest problems of india's administration is capital allocation so things that need a lot of money don't get enough money and things that don't need so much money end up getting a lot and and you know they they have to spend frivolously in order to get it back again next year so so this is uh, capital allocation is a huge problem and not having access to accurate data is one of the reasons so uh, you know many of our schemes are are run based on castes uh you know in in state politics on legislative assembly politics caste play a huge role and uh, you know many many policies target specific caste there are specific policies for backward caste there are specific policies for sts specific for scs so we have caste based policies but we don't have caste based data then how do you make administrative decisions of you know al- allocating resources when you don't have the right data so first is that it will benefit policy making hugely and that is sort of the principal uh, demand 
then the second thing is that uh, it addresses the inequality so uh, we understand that caste is you know a huge problem in india it's holding india back and uh, you know uh, it, it is causing inequality but then uh, not touching it further you know increases that inequality if we actually you know understand that inequality we can take action to fix that but unless we have the data how can we take action to fix it so uh, i i mean uh, 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 we understand that uh, caste is not uh, you know uh, not a good thing they, uh, but then we are also stepping away from collecting data on caste which is i think just totally misplaced and and uh, you know we should uh, we should at least uh, collect the facts before making the decision and we can actually you know take an example uh, from the us where uh, you know the same sort of problem exists in race between races so the blacks versus the whites is is you know a, a common political theme in us and and uh, they, they don't run away from 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 this uh, fact they, they they actually you know collect data uh, all across uh, the country and they have samples surveys so uh, what ends up happening is that uh, their debates are based on facts whereas in india it's based on perception so uh, we need to change that and that is why uh, this census is important so i have kind of uh, spoken a lot but i have just covered the drawbacks and the need uh, if if i missed anything panda uh, i would like to bring you into this debate as well yeah you you have definitely covered everything uh, almost everything you know we cannot rely on a 100 mm-hmm. years old second thing is yeah. thing that i basically wanted to say is that caste identity caste identities in india you know there were uh, anthropologists and sociologists that had mentioned you know guha and Uh, they had done their research and they had mentioned so out of mm-hmm. the various points that they mentioned that perpetuated the caste system was uh, in, in current context are only two one is the caste endogamy which i think is fading away you know there are yeah. lots of love marriages that is first thing no no no, no, no. caste endogamy is, is still huge in india 94% of marriages are endogamous so Are, in, in india even today yeah 94% but you know uh, if if you look at it 100 years back Uh, the yeah. number was hundred percent. That that is uh, what is going on. It is an increased trend that has only seen you know changes in last ten to fifteen years. Uh, uh, we have seen vocal news about Khap and Chai taking actions against them and stuff like. The second most important factor is that is perpetuating caste identities is the politics politicization of caste and casteization of politics. You know, bringing politics into caste and that is something that will take it into eternity. Now coming to your question and uh, just just a final take. You know that. caste based census will perpetuate caste identities is something that they say as drawbacks but the truth is that the people grapple with it on daily basis that is the reality you know uh, we, we are well aware of what our caste is what our neighbors caste is we are well aware of that the only persons that actually uh, you know afford to ignore it are the rich people they don't actually matter that which caste that they belong to so in india caste is a reality you know our uh, policies can be better implemented because uh, let's face it we have an affirmative uh, action in our policies we have close to 50% of reservation and uh, we, we need to, to direct it better and i think this might help uh, in doing that this is first thing high court had also said mm-hmm. in 2008 madras high court that uh, we do need a caste based uh, you know census but supreme court had stayed the order of high court but i don't know why they were interfering in the government process whatever be the case but according to me uh, caste is a reality in india as of now uh, you know we definitely need census we do not need to highlight the differences but we uh, this is something that we need to make sure of that we don't highlight the differences but we also need to make sure that the uh, facts that we have are used in the proper policy uh, making and implementation right and coming to that we have another question from our last discuss uh, discussion on uh, pds uh, we need to have good pds system so that you know food will be available to the needy there should be authority that checks the quality of nutrition yes definitely you know we we have that on paper we have everything if if policies were to be compared when it comes to uh, framing them on papers i think so we have one of the best policies in the world but the real issues uh, that lie are in the implementation part the faulty implementation part we do have uh, you know quality council of india the food council of india we have uh, food security inspectors and uh, what not you know we have uh, pds we have one of the largest pds system in india uh, th- that is something but again when it comes to uh, truth and harsh reality is that these policies are not implemented properly and it is actually difficult to oversee the implementations of these policies when the population of a nation is as high as 135 crores you know people have to be self responsible for the rules that they are given and you know have to act morally this is something Yeah, 
yeah i i, I think we have covered um, most of it and uh, yeah i, I mean uh, caste is a reality and and we would do better if we you know actually face the reality instead of trying to avoid it uh, and, and instead of you know trying to benefit from the uh, you know uh, non understanding of caste we would do much better if we took a scientific approach towards it if we looked at what the real problem is if we had pulled hard facts and then we would benefit it instead of making policy decision based on perception and then you know making them based on data which is 100 years old which which makes just no sense right so i i think with that yeah, we'll don't do don't politicize it that that is my only take don't politicize it use it properly for the benefit of people and i think so there is uh, no harm in that but you know this is something again when i when 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 i try to mix politics along with the actual reality uh, this is something harsh because data of 2021 might just be released before 2024 elections i'm not very sure but let's let's uh, see that or just regarding sccc uh, let me tell our audience that you know some data from 2011 census is being released as you know we are discussing it is a long process uh, data collected is huge that is all right now i have very uh, short snippets just just one one minute just just for you just uh, random facts that is i'll say no discussion required and then we'll come to the paralympics part so there was this report that was released recently Uh, the report was titled "State of World's Trees." It was by Botanic Gardens Conservation uh, Inter uh, International. By it is a UK-based organization, and it says that 30% of trees are facing extinction. Uh, this is just just so uh, we need to be. Now the most important news is that we have already discussed that we are importing a huge amount of palm oils. Uh, we, we have already had this discussion with Kuldeep while we were discussing his startup, you know, innovation. So we have we are importing huge amounts of palm oils from neighboring nations. So as a result, government has started uh, a policy of Uh, developing palm oil uh, trees in northeast and in andaman and nicobar region and people are against it again mainly due to three reasons one is biodiversity uh, second is that you know uh, it has long maturity time and the most important is palm oil tree requires a huge amount of water that is single tree requires more than 300 liters per day so this is something i am personally against that you know if you are able to import cheap cheaply import uh, from the nations that are close to equator that have plenty of rains why do we need to you know start it all over we can develop it for other other things mm-hmm. now let's come to the best part that is paralympics i don't want to discuss taliban in usa because that is you know a perpetual topic yeah we've done it two or three times already yeah definitely now let's come to paralympics uh, now i'll just give an update so till now we have won two gold uh, six silver and five bronze that is total of 13 medals in paralympics and you know uh, for fun fact from 1968 to 2016 the total number of medals that we had won were 12 so putting it in that way that we have already surpassed and you know uh, badminton is still going india is still going strong in badminton suhas while uh, the uh, dm of noida he has already won his two matches and he has entered into quarter final stages and similarly he's world ranked number 3 and world ranked number 2 in different categories also in india and we have mixed doubles that is also going strong and we have two more days so let's uh, hope that you know we make it better avni from jaipur has won two medals uh, a gold medal and a bronze medal and uh, you know uh, she's just 19 years old and she is a capable contender for the normal uh, olympics uh, that that is something there was a shooter also this this is a record uh, i was just looking into there was also a shooter uh, i don't remember the country but she had won gold in both olympics and paralympics so uh, you know i have uh, again not burning something but you know i have uh, I, i look forward to that 19 year old uh, bright talent of india we also have a 19 year old shuttler uh, from india uh, unfortunately she lost her matches but i think so competing at 19 year old is itself a big task a bronze medalist was disqualified from india uh, just because his category was not available and stuff like that so i think so this is not happening another sad news that comes from the paralympic corner is that a gold medalist uh, uh, a uh, short put gold medalist was disqualified because he entered late uh, in his competition he was allowed to take part in competition but after he won the gold medal he was disqualified so this is something that should not have been done uh, you know and this this had happened in 2016 with the indians they were not allowed to participate uh, while they were late for discus and uh, short put and i think so you know owing to uh, the efforts that they are already making to make a name for themselves uh, they are specially able i think so Uh, these things should be taken into consideration, and yeah, also think allowing them to compete, and then after them having won it, then disqualifying them. I think that is just yeah, that is something you know. You you should be very clear of the rules right from the start. That is something. Another thing is, uh, and it's a heartening news that uh, Antil uh, from Haryana he has won. Uh, he has made 
three world records you know consecutively breaking back to back his world record was 62 then he uh, threw 65 and finally 68 in javelin and you know uh, 76 was the qualification marks for olympics so you know he has said that he will be coming back uh, even for the olympics uh, next year let's just hope that but the most beautiful part is that he has won a gold medal and the haryana government has decided to give him the same amount that they are giving to the uh, olympians uh, gold medals that is neeraj uh, you know 6 crores plus all the benefits so this is something heartening to see that the government is paying now equal attention to the paralympians that were you know not uh, considered uh, uh, at par with the olympians but i think so they are uh, in in my uh, views they are even higher than olympians you know they don't even have they don't only have to face a disability but also the society at the way it looks at them and the facilities that are made available for them so this is something uh, from the paralympics one you say on these all things you know i'm fascinated with this sports I, very so so much uh, so proud of, of our uh, paralympians and uh, you know winning 13 medals something that uh, you know uh, as athletes have not done in the uh, in the olympics yet and then uh, you know uh, we crossing the 10 medal mark in, in the paralympics first i, I think this is a this is an achievement uh, for for our country and uh, you know uh, the, the paralympians I, i think all of their stories the individual stories are so very inspiring if, if you just you know dive a little deeper so every medal has like a brilliant story behind it uh, and you know uh, it, it, the, the dm who is uh, participating in badminton is just one of them but but if you look at every uh, every person who is a paralympian uh, a they have a disability in their body and still they have managed to make a career out of it and not only make a career but become the world's best at at what they do so i think this is something very inspiring for all of us and and we should you know advertise their stories even more because uh, this this is really some inspiring stuff there. instead of talking about politics if we talk more about such stories i think uh, that would uh, leave us in a better place yeah yeah just i was reading once a story of uh, antel sumit antel so in 2016 till 2016 he wanted to become a wrestler he was training for wrestler unfortunately in an accident he lost his leg and switching from being a wrestler because there was no paralympian wrestling competition you know he switched from wrestling to uh, javelin and you know he is just going strong and beautifully you know he has increased his personal best by more than 5 meters in a single event so he's just 5 meters or 6 meters short of qualifying for the olympics and that that itself says the hard work and efforts that they are putting now every story has uh, something to say uh, that uh, uh, shooter that we have from japan she has won two medals a gold and a bronze in two different categories Uh, that that is you know a, a beautiful uh, thing that you know that i'm looking forward to so anyways i think so uh, ending our discussion on this happy note is uh, something that we would love and uh, just let's hope like that's it uh, for from my side for this week yeah and uh, thanks to everyone who uh, you know watched this live or who is going to watch this later on uh, in, in the recorded form and uh, do continue to uh, subscribe uh, share uh, or to like it like it uh, and uh, you know uh, just uh, send us some love if, if you uh, like what we do and as always uh, thank you so much to panda for uh, coming up right after his run and uh, showing us uh, what real hard work looks like and it's always a thank you prof uh, you know it's always a pleasure and uh, thank you to our audience you know they interact and they make the interaction more uh, you know uh, they they bring out the both sides uh, the best and the worst of us and i think so that is the best part uh, the interaction with the audience so yes please do continue to support us and definitely if anyone want to participate in any of the discussions uh, you are more than welcome you know you can uh, write a message to either me or this channel or uh, professor vyas uh, i think so that that is necessary anyways do check out his new initiative you know prosperity yeah yeah, yeah. you would you would you like to tell something about that you know i am not very familiar with that what is it all about yeah so this is a new podcast that we are doing uh, i am doing with some friends uh, uh, like couple of them from iit bharti uh, the college that i went to and uh, there is one school friend so there is four of us and uh, we we are doing this podcast which is based around technology so uh, what happens is that uh, you know uh, whenever a new technology comes up uh, human kind does not have a very you know a nice reaction it has a very very uh, opposing reaction so uh, as an example when cars came came around for the first time in the early 1920s uh, people were like ki ab ghode walon ko kya hoga ghode walon ki naukri chali jayegi itne sare ghode jo humne paal rakhe hain ye sab waste ho jayenge hum sab log ko ghode ki aadat hai ab ye machine aa gayi to isse kya fayda hoga most of the people were like you know this is uh, not helpful 
एंड पीपल वर लाइक मशीन कभी भी खराब हो जाती है देन यू नीड टू गो टू मैकेनिक इट्स सो कॉस्टली इट रिक्वायर्स फ्यूल एंड सो ऑन राइट बट देन यू नो 20 और 30 इयर्स लेटर एवरीवन हैड शिफ्टेड टू कार एंड इट हैड यू नो कॉज्ड अ ह्यूज इकोनॉमिक यू नो ग्रोथ एंड एंड डेट स्प्रेड प्रॉस्पेरिटी अराउंड सो सो दैट इज एसेंशियली द स्टोरी ऑफ एवरी टेक्नोलॉजी इफ यू लुक एट यू नो प्रिंटिंग प्रेस व्हेन इट केम इनटू 1600 और इफ यू लुक एट वैक्सीन व्हेन दे केम अराउंड इन 1700 or if you look at internet which came around in 1980 uh, all of these uh, new technologies had a similar reaction so what our goal in this podcast pursuit of prosperity is that we'll pick up one technology and trace it so from the very start until the state in which it is now so the first episode we did was vaccine we started with smallpox vaccine in 1720 right and how it was developed in england and then eventually we came to the mrna vaccines uh, which we are using for uh, covid right now and then uh, second episode we are doing for space travel so space travel actually started with world war 2 rockets so essentially there was a german uh, you know rocket engineer who went to the us when germany lost the war and he you know kicked off the space program so uh, there are you know such interesting stories all across these invention of new technology and that is what we are really diving deep into it's like a 30 minute podcast where each episode we cover you know one particular technology from start to finish so that is basically the idea Yeah, I mean, definitely you know it seems a very interesting and uh, there are i think so in this world modern world we are presently using technology to yeah. have our live sessions so uh, definitely you know guys please do check him out uh, show the same love that you have shown to this channel you know uh, link will be mentioned in the comment section and in the description of this video anyways yeah. uh, thank you professor you know All hope to see you again thank you so much see you soon bro bye bye sir